Welcome to Legacy Women's Podcast, where we seek to encourage women in their relationship with God and one another through monthly conversations with the women of Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Hello and welcome to a new year of the podcast. I know many of us were ready to turn the page on 2020 and for this new year to begin. As I have in past years, I wanted to start with us being encouraged in our pursuit of the Lord this year, specifically through spending time in His Word. In both January 2018 and 2019, I talked with a group of women in diverse seasons about what the spiritual disciplines looked like for them. So if you haven't heard those chats or want to be freshly inspired by their example and ideas, you can search for those in the past episodes. Last year in January, I did a Q&A with our friend Janie Ortland, and at the end of that talk, she gave some wonderful encouragement for why and how we can be in the Word. Most helpful for me was the way she answered the question, with all of the options and practices available, how can I choose which one to do? So check that out if you want to hear what she had to say. This year, I wanted to share a teaching by Betsy Ricucci. She is a pastor's wife of many decades. Her husband has been the director of student care at Sovereign Grace Pastors College. So she's been involved with mentoring pastor's wives for years. And they also wrote the book, Love That Lasts. So if you've done premarital counseling through our church, you've likely gone through that book. Betsy's also a wonderful speaker. And in this talk, she teaches on the familiar story of Mary and Martha with a fresh perspective that I found very encouraging. She's addressing a group of young moms and speaks to many of the struggles they face when it comes to pursuing the spiritual disciplines. But even if you don't have little children at home, I know there are always challenges to overcome. So I think you too will be freshly encouraged to make time to be in the Word and experience the joy of fellowship with God. As a new mom, I think I made the mistake of reading too many of the how-to books. Now you can just Google all that information. Cut it out. Don't go there. I, I, I remember one particular book said that the best way to avoid diaper rash was to let your child, here she is. I survived. <laughs> she did. Air dry after every diaper change. Well, I was going to do this mothering thing right. And so I did. Morning, noon, and night. So actually what I was teaching Kelly to do was to wake up at night, not sleep through the night, because I was always waking her up. Let's change that diaper. You've got to air dry. Well, you know, a newborn, they're just going to start crying. So one day, Carolyn, must, you must have seen dark circles. <laughs> and she was such a great friend. She goes, how are you doing? And so I explained to her everything I was doing, thinking, this is right, right? And she goes, you got to put that book away. <laughs> you cannot live like this. You, you put, they live wet. No one, she goes, as long as they're not soaked or cold, just let them sleep. And you get some sleep. I, that advice at that time in my life was so life-changing. <laughs> it was so freeing. I thought, yes, yes. It, 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 yeah, so I, yeah. So given the seemingly endless demands on your life right now, on your energy, on your devotion, your effort, during this remarkably full season of your life, here I come today to speak about the spiritual disciplines, (laughs) which I'm sure can evoke some emotions, maybe emotions like guilt. I just can't be consistent. 
I haven't been consistent. The Lord sees my miserable track record. How can I go before him now? Maybe a little bit of regret. Maybe some resentment. A quiet time. Are you kidding me? What is a quiet time? I don't have time to eat, sleep, shower, dress. I can't even go to the bathroom. So a quiet time? It's just impossible. Well, I am hopeful that a very familiar passage from Scripture this morning, just like Carolyn's counsel to me those years ago, proved life-changing, freeing, and so encouraging. I am praying, and I hope that this passage of Scripture, which it communicates something crucial for us all, the spiritual disciplines, will be encouraging to us as well. We're going to look at Luke 10, 38 through 42, that familiar story of Martha and Mary. But before we do, I want to do a little bit of what Julie Persuell just did. I want to make sure that we are clear-eyed as we read. I want to make sure that we have gospel lenses on this morning because we all come in with lenses this morning. And if you are anyone, anything like me, you are often looking at scripture and you are often looking at life through the lenses of self-effort. And those lenses are gonna lead us in one of two directions, self-righteousness or self-pity and condemnation. It may look like this in my life. If I have a week of consistent devotional times, I somehow see and feel that my relationship with God's just a little bit more secure. He's just a bit happier with me this week. And he might be a little bit more inclined to bless me. But if it's been abysmal at my house and time with him has been minimal, I may be thinking, I wonder if he's a little mad. He might be a little bit less inclined to bless me. He's seen how miserable my times with him have been. It's the gospel It's the gospel lenses that are going to inform us that our justification before God is never, never, never our performance. B.B. Warfield is a theologian and pastor born in Lexington, Kentucky, I might add. So he is a peep. He's one of our peeps. He was the end end of the 19th, early 20th century pastor. He wrote this. There is nothing in us or done by us at any stage of our earthly development because of which we are acceptable to God. We must always be accepted for Christ's sake or we cannot be accepted at all. This is not true of us only when we believe. It is just as true after we have believed. It will continue to be true as long as we live. It is always on his blood and righteousness alone that we can rest. Ladies, Jesus lived a perfect life for you and me to earn for us what we will never be able to earn, God's favor forever. Jesus died the substitutionary death to receive instead of us what we completely deserve, God's wrath, that we might be forgiven forever. Our practice of the spiritual disciplines does not earn us acceptance before God. That acceptance has already been fully won for us through Christ. We don't pursue the spiritual disciplines to be acceptable to God, but because he's already wondrously accepted us through Christ, we pursue them. Why? That we might know him 
the savior of our souls that we might receive from him that we might be more like him those are the lenses that we're supposed to look through at life through so having reminded ourselves of the magnificent mercy of the gospel this wise counsel from charles spurgeon is also true he wrote i must take care above all that I, communi- that I cultivate communion with Christ. For though that can never be the basis of my peace, mark that, yet it will be the channel of it. Mm-hmm. Ladies, the basis of our peace before God, always the gospel. The channel of that peace, communion with God. So what's communion with God to look like? Well, let's ask Martha and Mary. Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. Such a familiar story. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. How many of you have been familiar with the story before I read it? How many of you, like me, relate more to Martha than to Mary? Yeah, yeah, I'm a Martha. Yep, yep, yep. Which makes Mary all the more intriguing for me because she was an ordinary woman just like us with a life filled with duties and demands and distractions and interruptions. I think Martha often gets pitted against her sister Mary as though Martha's example serves only as a warning and Mary's is the one we're to emulate when really both sisters can teach us so much. In his commentary on these verses, Phil Riken writes, both sisters wanted to honor God with true devotion to Jesus Christ. There were some problems with Martha's attitude, as we shall see. Well, how gracious is that? She had a meltdown. Anyway, but we do her an injustice. We do her an injustice if we fail to recognize the sincerity of her love for Jesus. Like Mary, this godly woman deserves our admiration. Indeed, she does. Because in verse 38, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Martha welcomes him. This welcome comes between two episodes of Jesus being tested. There was one man who wanted to justify his behavior before the Lord, and then a group of men who were accusing Jesus of healing a mute man by the prince of demons. And in between these two tests is Martha welcoming him. What a wonderful demonstration of her love for her Savior, anticipating his arrival. She's not waiting to test him. She's waiting to welcome him. I want us to marvel at the gift of grace in Martha's life. I don't want us to miss that Martha was at the front door waiting to welcome the Lord. She is the first to greet him. She started so well. Don't we often start well, too? And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. 
This has got to be one of the simplest definitions and descriptions of the spiritual disciplines that I have ever read. She sat at his feet, she listened to his teaching. Now that's a description, that's a definition that my simple little brain can wrap itself around and say, I think I can do that, sometimes. I think, excuse me, <clears throat> I think that the sheer number of activities that are included in a description of the spiritual disciplines can overwhelm us sometimes. Okay, so, ready? There's scripture reading, scripture meditation, scripture memorization, prayer, singing, study, solitude, fellowship, and don't forget fasting. And I don't even think that's a complete list. So, we stack up these activities like some kind of impossible to-do list that we'll never accomplish and that simply crushes us. I would like us to reorient how we think about the spiritual disciplines. They are not meant to be an impossible to-do list. They are meant to be a feast. Imagine coming into your dining room on Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner and you see that table full of delicious food. You have the turkey and the mashed potatoes and the stuffing and the sweet potato casserole and the green bean casserole. Maybe you have some asparagus with a balsamic reduction. Mmm, bread, pies. You don't come into your, into your dining room, see that table full of food and say, this is just simply too much. It's overwhelming, too many choices. There's no way I can eat all that, so I give up, I'm not eating any. <laughs> not a one of us would do that. We pull up to the table, we sit down, we marvel at the feast in front of us and go, thank you, Lord, one bite at a time, I'm going to enjoy this feast. So much more than a holiday dinner, the spiritual disciplines are a feast. Taste any one of them, any one of them, and see that the Lord is good. Mary sat at the Lord's feet. She listened to his teaching. What she did was simple, and the things that she did were few. Let this simple yet profound description of the spiritual disciplines inspire us. Well, what does it mean to sit at Jesus' feet? It is an expression of our expectant dependence upon him. When I wake up in the morning, which I, when I woke up this morning, I open my eyes, and one of the first things that I will do is say, Lord, I'm awake. Thank you for the gift of another day. I will immediately start, Lord, you are the creator, and I am the creature, and I want you to know, I know the difference, and I'm going to be tempted through the day to switch it. No, you are the creator. I am the creature. I am desperately needy today. You are almighty. By doing that, in the first moments I wake up, I'm just simply sitting at his feet expectant dependence. I can actually do this all day. Don't we usually wake up thinking, we already have that to-do list working in our mind, all that you wake up, you go, I've got this, 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 oh, and I forgot that. And we already feel behind and the day hasn't even started yet. We've just opened our eyes and the to-do list is like a ticker tape. It's like, no, I've, I've got to stop. It's time to sit at his feet. It's time to remind ourselves I am not at the mercy of the day. God governs the day. And I need to remind myself of something as simple as Lamentations 3. Like, there are new mercies awaiting me this day. That's what awaits me. I'm not at the mercy of the day. There are the mercies of the Lord that are new for me this day. When my children were little, and I would 
have my singing times or just reading, I'd just be sitting on the floor. They'd just be crawling all over me in various stages of whatever. But it didn't stop me from sitting at his feet, singing his worthiness, confessing my need. It, it, this, this is just life, sitting at his feet. I wasn't ever sitting at his feet alone. <laughs> what does it mean to listen to his teaching? Well, any time we get to hear a part of a Sunday sermon. Now notice that I said any part of a Sunday sermon because I am under no illusion that you moms get to hear a full Sunday sermon, ever. <laughs> Anytime I get to re-listen to a Sunday sermon that I didn't get to hear on Sunday during the week, Anytime I get to re read scripture or memorize scripture or meditate on scripture, anytime I get to study, anytime I get to read even a page, a paragraph, as Julie said, anytime I get any of that. And when I was young and our four children were at home, after the Sunday sermon, we didn't have like phones that we could just go and listen. We, we had the cassette tape window. Yes, now that was exciting. The line would start up. We had cassette tapes. We had cassette tape players. So we would line up at the tape window because the sermon was being recorded and we'd get our tape and we'd take it home. Well, all week long, I would be pushing rewind because it's chaotic at my house. It's like, oh wait, I missed that part, rewind. I just figured that the repetition was gonna be good for my soul. So I never got, well, I, not that I never, but I realized, you know what, I just have to rewind it again and rewind that part again and rewind that. It's just good for my soul to be reminded. Perhaps you can grasp 15 minutes out of your day to read the scripture. Here's what I want us to realize. If we read 15 minutes a day, do you realize that that is 90 hours a year? That's incredible. Small beginnings can result in such fruitful harvests of faith and hope and love. Even today, I take one scripture and one song with me to work. I arm myself with it. I squeeze the nourishment I squeeze the sweetness out of them, repeating them over and over in my mind. So I will take Psalm 62.5 to work with me. On God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. And so I will go, on God, on God alone. Here I am sitting in a check, I'm in the check lane, I'm greeting people in the back of my mind. On God alone, my hope is from him. My hope, my hope is from him. You, it's amazing what you can get the sweetness and the nourishment you can get from one scripture. I've known gals to have Bibles open in different parts of the house with verses uniquely applicable to daily life. Some do those post-it notes on the bathroom mirror, on the changing, on the top of the, above the changing table, in the kitchen, in the doors of the kitchen. I used to have like all verses taped up in my kitchen. I'm just trying to find some way to listen to his teaching. Mary sat at his feet, expectant dependence. Mary listened to his teaching. Phil Riken writes, our quiet time with Christ is not another item on our to-do list, yet one, just, yet one more thing we have to do for Jesus. Rather, it is an opportunity for him to do something for us. Jesus is not asking for something more from us. He is asking for less so that he can give us more of himself. 
don't we often treat our quiet time as just another check off on our to-do list? And then we feel a little bit gu less guilty about the day because we're like, Lord, see, it's checked off. <laughs> no, it is, it's not part of the to-do list. It's for us to receive from him. Luke 10, 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. There is so much packed in this verse. Martha started so well, the first to greet her Lord, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Distracted, much serving. Distracted, much serving. If that doesn't describe the 24-7, 365 life of a mom, I do not know what does. The, word, the Greek word distraction, the primary meaning of that is to be dragged away, to be pulled in every direction. Does that describe a day any of you had recently? Does it describe this morning before you got here? Crying baby, disobeying toddler, dishes in the sink, big pile of dirty laundry waiting to go into the, into the washer, bigger pile of clean laundry on the bed waiting to be folded, and don't even, don't even talk to me about how in the world am I going to get dinner started. Distracted dragged away, pulled in every direction with much serving. I am so grateful for scripture mm -hmm. and its realistic common descriptions of daily life and of my heart in daily life. What happens to Martha and to me as her mind and heart are dragged away from who she is serving, to what she is doing. Well, Mr. Spurgeon says it this way. Her fault was not that she served. The condition of a servant well becomes every Christian. Her fault was that she grew cumbered with much serving so that she forgot him and only remembered the service. She forgot him. Too often, I forget him too. Anybody here like me and Martha? Distracted with much serving, pulled in every direction. Isn't the end of the matter, however, for Martha, nor is it the end of the matter for me. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. The fruit of this distraction? Anxiety. I have just got more to do than there are hours in the day. There is just no way that I'm going to be able to do this. Self-pity. You know what? I am the only one pulling my weight around here. No one else lifts a finger to help. If, it, if I don't do it, it just doesn't get done. Anger. Accusatory resentment. Lord, you don't care. You know what? She accuses of Jesus of indifference at best. Interrupting, scolding, telling God what to do. I have done that more times. Yeah, I told God what to do. Martha is almost as angry at Jesus as she is at Mary. This can happen so quickly. One moment, Martha's greeting 
Jesus at the front door. The next moment, she's in the kitchen preparing a meal. And the third moment, she's making a scene in the living room. Phil Riken writes, it may not seem all that serious to neglect the word of God. At first, we can hardly tell the difference it makes not to read our Bibles or to pray. But soon, a subtle self-pity creeps in. Rather than rejoicing in the promises of God, we feel sorry for ourselves because of the difficulties we are facing. We are increasingly critical, finding fault with others for what they are doing or not doing for us. And before long, we will be trying to tell God his business. This will all happen when in our service for Jesus, we get distracted from Jesus. This has happened more times in my life than I can count. And it's going to happen again. But let's look at Jesus's response to Martha. And let's humbly learn from Martha's crash and burn. And let's heed Mary's choice. One thing I want us to do though, let's give it up for Martha. I have no idea if Luke asked her if he could write this story down. I have no idea if Martha knew her story, her epic meltdown, was going to be in the scripture, but I sure want to thank her for it because, I don't know, billions of women through the ages have been relating to and learning from her through the course of the generations. I can't, I want to, when I meet her in heaven, I'm going to, I'm like, wow, I'm not going to go, wow, Martha. I'm going to go, thank you, Martha. I want to give it up for Martha. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Look at how Jesus takes care of Martha. In scripture, the double speaking of a name indicates affection, intimacy, and tenderness. God does it many times in the Old Testament. He says, Abraham, Abraham, when Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac because God wants to show him, no, I've already provided a sacrifice. He says, Jacob, Jacob, when he encourages Jacob to go be with Joseph in Egypt, even though Jacob is very, very old. And he says, Moses, Moses, as Moses is shaking in his boots at the burning bush. And so what does Jesus do? Martha, Martha. Maybe we hear him tenderly calling our name twice this morning. Jesus does not correct Martha for serving because her serving isn't the issue. It's forgetting him. He does not take sides. He doesn't tell Mary to get up and go into the kitchen, nor does he tell Martha that she should be like Mary. It's Martha's relationship with him that is paramount. And this is what Mary has chosen. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary chose. Mary chose the good portion. This expression fits the context perfectly, says Phil Riken, because the Greek word for portion often refers to a meal. While Martha was preparing one meal, Mary was having another better one. She was feeding on the living word. One commentary that I read describes Mary's choice to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teaching this way. She was taking full advantage of her opportunity. Jesus came to her home that day 
what an extraordinary event for her. She was going to take full advantage of it because Jesus wasn't going to be at her house tomorrow. When she woke up in the morning, he would not be there. Ladies, for us, Jesus isn't an infrequent house guest, but an abiding Savior. He has promised to be with us always, Matthew 28, 20. We have the opportunity to be with him that Mary and Martha simply didn't have. John Piper writes of of God that he is as near as your own breathing and infinitely merciful and mighty. This is the God that we have the opportunity to be with at any time. This is the God who is with us at all times. This leads me to ask some very revealing questions about myself. Do I, like Mary, take full advantage of my opportunities to spend time at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching? What will I choose? Do I recognize my opportunities to be with him? What portion do I choose? Is it the good portion? What is it that keeps me from recognizing and taking those opportunities to spend time in the word, in prayer, and in singing? Well, ladies, for me, it's that other choices seem more urgent at the time, or other portions seem more desirable. What other choices? What other portions, you might ask? Hmm, Well, here are a few of mine when I was a young mom and uh, even to this day. How about the desire, or for me more accurately, the craving for order in my home, the craving for sleep, or for recreation, or just a break. These are legitimate desires, and in some situations needs, and I am particularly sensitive, as Julie was, as she shared her wonderful testimony, to the topic of sleep, given the sleep deprivation that you moms experience at this season in your lives. My son Garrett and his wonderful wife Elise had twins 11 months ago. I was able to go and be with them three times during the initial months and just watching them through the year. I tell you what, new categories of exhaustion have opened up for me. I'm like, nobody's ever asleep at the same time, (laughs) at any time. It's just new categories. So I want to encourage you, please, please do all that you can to get the sleep you need. Please do the best you can to care for your physical rest. This truly is the most physically demanding season of your lives. I would not be offended if right now you put your head down and took like 40 (laughs) winks. I would completely get it. I, I do. I'm not at all talking about the legitimate need for sleep or for order or for recreation and a break, but it's the habitual indulging in them which is what can so easily derail me from being aware of my need or making opportunities for time with God and in his word. So it can sound like this in my mind. I can come out, especially when the kids were little, and go, there is no way I'm going to be able to concentrate on time with the Lord. Look at this wreck. And so I'm just going to take a few moments and tidy up. Guess what? My time is gone. Or... I'm just so weary. I I have brain fog. I cannot think. I I, I need a break. And so in the world that we have today, it's a little Netflix, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Amazon Prime, and who who knows how many other opportunities there are out there. And boom, an hour's gone in a blink. It's when sleep or order 
or recreation or whatever other choice appears more desirable becomes the good portion rather than time with God and in his word, rather than trusting God in his word. It's when those things become the good portion, I'm in trouble. And here's why. Because I can get a certain satisfaction, a certain degree of peace, and an element of joy from order in my home, or from sleep, or from recreation. But ladies, in the end, they're going to be broken cisterns. They simply won't hold up. They're like a spiritual discipline's counterfeit because my satisfaction and my peace and my joy are entirely circumstantial. Just watch what happens to me when I don't sleep in a week, my house is a wreck, or I haven't had a break in a long time. Not a pretty picture. I become like Martha in the living room. What to do? Well, I want to remind us of what Phil Riken said, wrote just a little while ago. Jesus is not asking for something more for us, from us. He is asking for less so that he can give us more of himself. So maybe you're like me and you've chosen the counterfeit portion again and again, thinking that it will satisfy you only to find it empty in the end. It's time to choose. It is time to choose not the counterfeit portion, but the good portion. Time at his feet, time in his word. So perhaps it's beginning your day 15 minutes to a half hour earlier in order to begin your day with the Lord and his word. One little piece of advice that I found so helpful when we, when I, I'm a, I'm a night, per, any night owls, any, like you get your second wind and you just go buzzing through the house because she's like, I'm alone. I can go. I mean, I have so many gals at the grocery store when they come through my line and they don't have their kids with them, they go, this is like vacation. I can think. I can, I can. That was like nighttime with me. Like I can get it all done. Anyway, so getting up early in the morning was just such a struggle for me. And I remember, Carol, I remember you saying, you're going to just have to be prepared. You're going to feel rotten and miserable for the first five or ten minutes. Yeah. But once you get over that hurdle, time spent with God and his word, it's going to last you the whole day. And so just be ready. I'm just going to feel rotten and miserable. That's okay. That's a good sign. Press on. And Julie read part of the quote from John Piper where he, he, he recommends, I earnestly recommend that it be in the early morning unless there are some extenuating circumstances. Entering the day without a serious meeting with God over his word and in prayer is like entering the battle without tending to your weapons. The human heart does not replenish itself with sleep. The body does, but not the heart. We replenish our hearts not with sleep, but with the word of God and prayer. And perhaps you have young ones up regularly in the night, and getting up early before they do is extremely challenging. Well, for you, choosing the good portion may be spending time with God and his word through nap time. Instead of taking that time to clean up a little bit or get, take a break, find out what's going on in the Facebook, Instagram world, I think there's a, there's a term that we should retire, and that is the term catching up. Mm. Anybody ever really ever caught up? <laughs> if you do, it lasts like five minutes and you're behind again. So let's reject catching up and, no, I'm going to be faithful to do the next thing. That's all I can do, faithful to do the next thing. Maybe it's involving your husband 
or a caring friend in ways that they might be able to help you have time with God and his word regularly. These are ideas, simply ideas, ideas that I hope will only inspire you to think of ideas that will uniquely help you make the choice of that good portion just a little bit easier. Take some time to think, what, what will help me make the choice, not of the counterfeit portion, but the good portion, easier? Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. I just can't end this morning any better than Phil Riken does in his commentary on this passage. This is what we can expectantly, expectantly look forward to, dear ladies, as we take our tiny steps forward, one tiny step at a time, to choose the good portion. When we make this kind of time for Jesus, quality time to meet him in his word and through prayer, we are choosing the good portion. Jesus is the perfect antidote for all the unattractive attitudes that poison our service when we turn our attention away from him. His gospel is the cure for our distractions as we are drawn to the beauty of his grace. His peace is the cure for our anxiety as we trust him through the worries of life. His love is the cure for our self-pity as we forget ourselves in serving others for his sake. His mercy is the cure for our resentment as we offer others the same forgiveness that Jesus has given to us. This is the good portion that God offers to the Marys and Marthas everywhere. Jesus himself in all his grace. What we gain in knowing Jesus cannot be taken away from us any more than Martha could take away Mary's golden opportunity to sit at her master's feet.